Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley, still joined on the other end of the Skype line by Shan Ambrose, and delighted to have joined me this morning a, a good friend of the Gospel, a, a good friend of the program, Father Eamon Conway. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning, indeed. Good morning, John. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, Father Eamon. Father Eamon, thank you very much indeed for joining us again uh, this morning. Um, specifically, I, I, I bounced something off Father Eamon during the week, and, and uh, I, I'm glad he came back in the affirmative and said he would join us on the programme. It's something that I wanted to speak about for some time, and I know a few parents and grandparents have indeed asked me, could we have a, maybe a little chat or reflection on the radio programme about this topic? And um, it's one, really, that can be probably summed up by... How can parents and grandparents pass on the message of the gospel to our family? We find it a challenge, whether it's we're not educated enough or we're not catechized enough or whatever it might be. We would say we might ask Father maybe to lead us into a few little thoughts and reflections this morning on that topic. So, Father, where would you like to start or where would you like to help us out? Well, first of all, just by acknowledging the complexity and challenge of the question of the issue, uh, about three weeks ago in the Irish Catholic, Breda O'Brien wrote a piece. She put a very challenging question to us. She said that uh, she goes each year now with a group of young people from her school to Lourdes on pilgrimage, and the young people come as volunteers to work with the uh, disabled people who go there on pilgrimage or the sick who need help. Mm-hmm. So the young people are the best in the world, that they are so generous and self-giving and caring and everything else. But she notices increasingly that fewer and fewer of them are inclined to go to Mass and to take part in the liturgy. And she commented that, you know, nowhere more than in Lourdes you find such beautiful liturgies, so well celebrated, lovely music, uh, lovely choirs, uh, great participation and so on. But still, a lot of young people will stop at the door of the church and that think that's not really for them. And that's an interesting phenomenon because often we say, oh, well, maybe it's that Mass isn't celebrated right or is it boring or, you know, something like that. But there you can imagine how good liturgies are. And then also working on Loch Derg, as I do uh, over the summers, uh, so many people who come to confession. Now, they're not coming there, I suppose, this isn't a sin as such, but they do want to talk about the fact that they're disappointed that their children or grandchildren are not going to Mass. And they're very worried about that, you know. Mm. So I have been given that a bit of thought. And I suppose really... First thing I'd say to people is there's no point in blaming yourself or, you know, giving out to yourself about the situation. It's it's kind of a bigger one than any one individual parent or pair of parents or, or family as such. We're dealing with something in our culture that makes Christian faith seem not terribly credible, you know. And we talk about, you mentioned there about catechesis and so on. And again, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, what they're, tra- what they're teaching them in, in, in school, in the, in the catechism books or in the uh, religious education books isn't, isn't what's working or isn't right or whatever else. And, I mean, maybe we've had, you know, some poor enough text in the past. I'm not going to fight that battle. I'm not going to argue that. But at the end of the day, what really works and what really brings about change in people's lives is personal witness. I think that's the very first thing. And the first thing I'd say to parents or grandparents is continue to give a good example, to show people that the ground upon which you daily stand as a parent or a grandparent is is faith, is religious belief. That that's not just a God of the gaps, but it's a God that you want to give joy and give praise to uh, as the root of your daily existence. I think that's the first thing I would say. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing I would say is that 
we live in a culture that makes it hard to, to hear the words of the gospel. And catechesis uh, is, is important, but maybe it's a little bit further down the road, down the road from where a lot of our younger folk are at. Mm. Despite the fact that they may have been to a Catholic school, despite the fact that they may be baptised, have made their first communion and so on. But that maybe is all way down the road. Uh, Michael Paul Gallagher, the late Michael Paul, a Jesuit, very, very involved in the whole area of faith and culture and dialogue with unbelief. Back in 2012, when we had a World Synod of Bishops on the new evangelization, and we spoke in the program around that time, Mm. Michael Paul said, I'm not sure we should be beginning with a new evangelization. He said, maybe what we need actually is more at the level of what he called a pre-evangelization. That is, looking at what's going on in people's lives and helping to open them up for what he called the surprise of Christ. So evangelization, I think, falls into that category of the surprise of Christ, that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. But there can be a lot going on in our lives that prevents us really from from touching into that, from from hearing that, from being open to that. One of my favorite passages of prose uh, is from Brendan Kennelly in his introduction to what he calls the Judas book. Mm. And he says in that, he says, uh, he says, I wonder if many people feel like I do, that today it's very hard to give your full sustained attention to anything or anybody for very long. He says, we're half, we're compelled to half live our lives, half dream our dreams, half love our loves, that we've turned ourselves into half people. And then he goes on to say, D.H. Lawrence once wrote that the tragedy of modern man is our loss of heart. I disagree, he said. I think the tragedy of, our ma- of modern man or woman is the viability of our half-heartedness, our mortgage welfare voyage of non-discovery, our committed corrosive involvement with forces created by ourselves that ensure that our lives will be half-lived. And then he says, there's a sad refusal here, a rejection of the unique and fragile gift. And I think the gift he's talking about there is the gift of life, the gift of faith. Um, Saint, uh, Saint Irenaeus said the glory of God is a human person fully alive. And so for half living our lives, then maybe we're only going to half hear and indeed half see the beauty of God in our daily lives and half be open to the encounter with the person of Christ. And I'll stop in a moment, but just one more point. Pope Francis has drawn our attention, I think, to one of the major blocks, really, in Western culture, because it is a phenomenon of Western culture more than perhaps any other. And he talks a lot in a Laudato Si, but indeed in many, many of his talks, and indeed in everything he's written, the idea of what he calls the technocratic paradigm. Now, that's a big word and a big phrase. Mm. But he's talking about the way in which a technological way of living our lives uh, the technology gives us, uh, as somebody put it, the ability to arrange our lives in such a way that we don't have to actually experience them. And that we can actually avoid the kind of deeper moments of encounter, which can often be risk moments, can often be painful moments, they can often be very joyful moments. But if we're half living our lives, half dreaming our dreams, if t- technology is so be- pervasive in our lives, mm-hmm. or a way of, it might be just the technology, the, the machines but it might be just a technological way of looking at life, that we think everything is deletable, we think that everything is repeatable, we think that everything can be manipulated, maybe even people can be manipulated to our ends, Mm. we treat them as means to our own personal ends. I think that's a little bit of what Pope Francis means by this 
technocratic frame around our lives or, or paradigm. Now, he's not against technology, of course, because he, yeah. he even spoke two weeks ago to the space station mm. and had a wonderful, wonderful conversation with the astronauts. It's well, looked, well, look, uh, well worth looking up as well. Anyway, there are just some thoughts that we, we, we need to call people into a different way of living, I think, uh, a different way of relating at depth. And maybe the first thing a parent or a grandparent could do is decide, for example, that there's regular time in the house when all the machines are switched off. It's it's an interesting point, actually, um, you know, that you raised there. Two things that, that struck me. I suppose knowing where things are at, I suppose, at the moment. It was interesting, uh, Father Eamon, there was um, a survey or some research that was published recently. It's Finding Faith in Ireland, which was done by um, Christ in Youth and was carried out by the Barna Group. And it was launched in Dublin last week. And it was an interesting thing. They One of the things that they found was that 65% of young people uh, don't see mass or attendance in church each week as anything other than an optional thing to do. And I suppose it's that whole kind of shift in focus. And it's also interesting, I suppose, was at the same time, there's a book after being published in the US by um, Jean, I think Twinge is how you pronounce her name. She's a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. And she has done a book called iGen, and it's why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. That's the name of the book. But one of her points that she made this is actually is picking up something you said there, which Pope Francis picked up on, is that we have a generation kind of born between 1995 and 2006, where basically they are ultra connected technologically but they'd rather, you know, chat online than actually go out and talk to people and talk to their friends sometimes. And I suppose it's 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 part of the cultural shift um, that we see going on um, around us, I suppose, at the minute. And one of the, I suppose it's going to be one of the things that the bishops are going to have to discuss when they have the Synod on youth uh, in Rome, and I think it's in two years' time as well. I was actually, uh, about a month ago, I was at a meeting in Rome in preparation for that synod. With mm. uh, There were about 90 of us from different parts of the world, about 60 young people and the rest uh, there to listen to them and, and, and re- respond, I suppose, and react. Interesting point, I was in a discussion group with young people from about six, seven different countries, uh, including the Middle East, which was quite interesting, Beirut and uh, Dubai, I think, uh, and also then from other parts of Europe and Latin America. Uh, What I picked up, one of the interesting things I picked up was the paradox that young people at the one level feel extremely brave and strong, and yet at another level they realize they're extraordinarily fragile. Mm -hmm. They have a a tremendous desire and energy around uh, authenticity and absolute hatred of hypocrisy. But at the same time, that what you just said there seems to be very much a reality that they uh, that they kind of can be tranquilized. It's a phrase Pope Francis has used as well, particularly around uh, you know issues that they really you would expect young people to take a stance on, that they can actually be quite um, reluctant to get involved and get engaged in any meaningful level. So the, the reality for young people is actually quite quite uh, paradoxical in that regard, you know. And then, you know, just coming back again to, to parents and grandparents there, Father, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd say they'd probably find it pretty hard themselves maybe to, 
to ask the, the young guy, uh, the, the grandchild or the son or the daughter in the room to turn off that machine for a few minutes. But that's, that's a bit... I, I don't know. I mean, they may find it difficult to do it. But to be honest with you, I consider it just basic good manners, yeah. you know. Mm. And, mm. I mean, if you're teaching them nothing else, you might do that. I have to do that at times with my, my nieces, um, you know. And it's very interesting. I was in Australia during the summer. I was working at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, cousins discovered me uh, that I'd never met before in my life. But the parents were having their golden wedding anniversary. And I was being picked up by the daughter um, along with her family. Now, clearly the kids just didn't get the memo because we were all in the car. We'd never met before in our lives. They came to pick me up. I was dressed as a priest. And we were driving over. Now, clearly the parents knew we were going to a, a, a golden wedding anniversary mass followed by a meal. But as we drove, the kids were all the time on their separate uh, devices all the way. They hardly looked up even when I got into the car. Mm -hmm. But as we arrived at the church, this cry went up, Ah, oh, Mom, you didn't say we had to go to a service. <laughs> 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 and of course, we've heard more than once uh, about the children who, as soon as they step inside the door of the church, they say, where's the Wi-Fi? <laughs> What's the Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi mm -hmm. <laughs> So I think... I, my experience sometimes, and um, even during Stormophilia there, I heard a number of uh, people say to me, do you know, it was great when the electricity went, we started talking to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, amazing, you know, amazing. But do we need, do we need to, uh, to be completely controlled by forces outside of our, no, we don't, our own of power and our own control, you know? No, we don't. But assuming that happens, right, and assuming we sort of get over this idea of, of having mobile for, uh, devices and so on and so forth, then we start to talk about God or talk about faith matters. And the immediate response some of us get is, well, that's boring, or that really has nothing to do with my life. And it's, it's even though we've tried, well, listen, you know, God loves you so much now and, 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 and he's given us this earth and he's given us gifts and so on and so forth. We go through maybe the, the few little points that we were used to or we grew up with ourselves. But sometimes that doesn't seem to hit the spot with these young people. That God loves maybe them. Maybe before we talk, I mean, back to the idea of pre-evangelization. Okay. Maybe we have to listen. Mm, okay. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I think the gospel gives us a lot of hints, uh, the various gospel texts about how to how to evangelize, uh, you know, or pre-evangelize, open up people for the surprise that is Christ. I think, of the, again, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he didn't say, hey, look, guys, this is me. Here I am again. Yeah. He said, what matters are you discussing as you walk along the way? And he was prepared to listen. And he journeyed with them. I think that's another important point. Uh, there's a lovely line I learned long, long time ago from a, an American priest called Vincent Donovan, a book he wrote uh, about working with young people. Uh, I think it was called Christianity Rediscovered. But he says, uh, when you're working with young people, do not try to bring them back to where they were and do not try to bring them to where you are, as pleasing as that place might seem to you. Mm. You must have the courage to go with them to a place where neither you nor they have ever been before. And so I think that ability and that willingness to journey with uh, is key today. And I think all journeys, really, all relationships begin by listening rather than speaking. And maybe giving, actually helping young people to, 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 to discover the art of listening. Because I think that's something we can't take for granted anymore. The actual the art of listening. And again, we do that by, best, by example. 
So creating the context in which they may feel comf- comfortable to talk to us about what's going on mm. and then maybe helping them to discover, well, actually, God is in your daily life, uh, you know, and and to join together the, the dots for them and mm. help them to recognize that. Yeah, I suppose one of one of the challenges, I suppose, with that, Father Eamon, is you know, where you try to encourage what I suppose I remember a few years ago, um, John, on the program, Father Michal Liston was on and he, he was talking about the need to rediscover, re-encourage kitchen conversations um, and this whole need for people to to communicate, not just virtually. But I suppose, Father, I mean, one of the challenges, I suppose, that people might be afraid of, particularly when it comes to issues of faith. Um, is very much, I suppose, uh, an awareness, I suppose, of lack of knowledge and saying, well, I don't really understand that or not being able to engage or talk about a particular topic, um, you know, because I suppose people will feel that in some ways it's, it's, it's you know, they, 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 it's an area of speciality. And I suppose one of the things we would say about that is, well, it isn't actually, because faith is very much your own personal experience of your encounters with, with God. And the experience of the divine in your daily life. It, it, it's not something which, you know, you require uh, a theology qualification for, I think you'd agree. Totally, uh, totally. I suppose, there, yeah, there's a few points there. The first one is that, just even before I get to that, I suppose mm. I would say to people, knowledge isn't as important as, as love and as sharing your own love experience of God. And you know, I, we're not maybe good at that. You know, we don't tend to talk about matters at that level of depth very comfortably, maybe even in families. But to share the story of how much God has brought you or me through particular challenging journeys in our lives, that might be, that, that, that's, that's the really the true knowledge, the knowledge that comes not so much from books, but from lived experience. That's gold dust. Uh, so I'd start with that. But yes, I mean, there comes a place and a time for being able to communicate, if you like, what we might call the truths of our faith or the, the beliefs of our faith. And the more we understand about those, uh, the more we're able to, to speak about them. And, you know, uh, I certainly have always encouraged adult faith formation and parents taking any opportunity they can. And this is back to technology. You know, while I, I don't want to go away people thinking I'm technophobic, by any means not. Uh, there's some wonderful resources now on the internet, some wonderful videos on YouTube, for example. I think for immediately of some of Bishop Bob Barron's short mm-hmm. videos, yeah. uh, which are excellent, uh, really, really good, explaining different aspects of our faith. But just this semester now, I've been teaching uh, third-year B.Ed. students uh, on Christian anthropology, Christian vision of the human person. And we've been talking about, uh, we started talking about creation. And, you know, even something as basic as that, Believe it or not, students can reach the third year of university you know, preparing to be primary teachers. They've missed out a lot of the very basic understanding of what it is to be a creature, uh, to be a dependent, interdependent creature. Uh, again, in our world today, we, we learn to be autonomous, but that kind of autonomy is false. It's not real. Mm. And when you explain to people, actually, it's okay to be a dependent or interdependent creature, there's almost a sense of, Phew, that's good news. I don't have to make it in the world on my own. I don't, I, I'm not simply what I invent for myself, but in fact, I'm a beloved creature of God. That's good news. Uh, and then we go on to talk about freedom, and with freedom comes responsibility. We went on to talk about sin, the reality of sin, suffering, evil. Uh, just recently now, we've been talking about the Christian understanding of death, and then of hope, and belief in the resurrection, and so on. These are very, uh, these are basics. But it is quite possible to go through 
uh, I think primary, secondary school today, maybe to do religion and so on, and not really get an adult an understanding of these truths that sustain us in adulthood. And so, Father, just as we come to the close of this particular section, um, what advice again, just to wrap it up, what advice again would you give to parents and grandparents who are a little bit worried about maybe their... I would say, I would say l- listening, the art of listening, at listening at depth and then sharing what sustains you in terms mm. of your faith. Uh, and then maybe when questions come up that you don't feel you can answer, then accompany them into those questions, affirm those questions you know the question of the questions i got the last day even in class from my students uh you know about suffering about evil why is there why do the innocent suffer these are perennial questions mm. answering answers anybody who says they can answer those in any simplistic way uh, mm. i don't understand the questions uh but you know the deeper questions young people are asking those deeper questions and young people are to some extent very vulnerable and fragile at the moment I think if they know and can recognize that there is a strength there that's greater than them and bigger than them, they will be open to it. But I think that accompaniment uh, is key. And sometimes then, you know, there's a little bit of the uh, what a friend of mine calls the light grip on the throat, (laughs) where you need to, um, you know, maybe be a little bit firm. I would say be firm about about looking for some shared downtime as a family when no, we sit at the table together and we share and we talk because we're creating golden moments for each other there. You'll never regret having taken time to be with your parents or your loved ones. Uh, you might regret all the time you spent uh, you know, on Snapchat or Instagram or answering stupid text messages from work after hours. Yeah. You know? And then, mm-hmm. by the way, this isn't just about young people. It can be about parents who, who take their work home with them yeah. and let the work mm-hmm. kind of become all-consuming as well. You know? And I'm speaking about myself there as much as I am about anybody else. You know? mm-hmm. and, then, but, but, uh, and then maybe just as, as, as we do wrap up, the one advantage uh, within all of this, of course, is that there is this trust between family members, between parents and grandparents. So that's a good positive way to start off maybe chatting about these matters. So at this particular stage, we might go for a a piece of music just to finish off this section. And I I thought maybe this might might be an ideal uh, piece of music to play. It's from the Year of Occasion song, uh, Patricia Burke, and this one is entitled You'll Be My Witnesses. So let's listen to this. Good news proclaim a 
Sacred Space 